Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today, as always, we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We will also be doing our spoiler discussion of the new Marvel movie, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. start out with some news dylan we have new trailers were you able to catch the trailer for the amazon prime series wheel of time i was not able to catch that trailer though i do know what it's about i'm familiar with robert jordan's work and i am looking forward to watching this series i do feel like i should read at least a couple of the books ahead of time but we'll see how many i can get under my belt there's like 14 or 15 yeah there's a massive amount of those books uh, this is definitely one of two attempts Amazon is doing at trying to capture the next Game of Thrones in terms of the pop culture. Mm-hmm. We will see how that works out for them. This comes out in November. I also am part of why I'm hesitant to go into it is number one, I would want to read the books and give give that a chance before trying to go into this series. Um which does, like, there's a lot of interesting shots. You should check out the trailer. Mm. A lot of interesting things that it's doing. And it's definitely a lot more fantasy-heavy right off the bat. Game of Thrones, of course, did not start out that way. The series or the books gradually became more and more fantasy, but started out really with the political intrigue. With this show, because it is going to be front-loaded with the fantasy, I'm wondering if that'll already keep some viewers away from it. Mm-hmm. Um because Game of Thrones didn't become a phenomenon right off the bat. So, I don't know. I feel like they, and I think The Witcher, which I didn't watch that season. Were you able to watch that? I did not watch The Witcher. I felt like they also came at it from, all right, we need to pump this season heavy with a lot of action, a lot of fantasy stuff, a lot of big battles, instead of giving some time to build up the world and the characters and gradually introduce us to all that fantasy stuff. Mm -hmm. So, hopefully... They didn't burn so much of their budget, and hopefully it will attract enough of an audience to where they'll be able to continue the story. But also 14 books. Like, how are they supposed to adapt all of that? They've got to cut things out here and there. Unless they want 14 seasons of television. I'm sure. I mean, if it was profitable, they'd love to do it. But I don't see how how they'd be able to sustain an audience for that long. It would definitely be difficult. I think a better thing to adapt be Brandon Sanderson's The Stormlight Archive series, which I'm currently reading. I think that would make for sensational television if you could figure out the finesse of certain fantastical elements that are written into the novel. But just the story itself would be an amazing replacement for Game of Thrones, if you ask me. Because it's distinct enough to where it's not like you're trying to do the same exact thing, but it is the the story is written in such a, a phenomenal way that is as engaging as Game of Thrones, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Right. I would say that Brandon Sanderson needs to finish those books so that we don't have a Game of Thrones situation where they catch up to the books before they're all finished. So that man, he's got seven to go in that series, something like that. So let's let him finish up 
He has all that six stuff. to go because the fourth one just came out. Oh, it a, did. A while ago. Yeah. Did you read that one? Are you uh, all caught up? I'm still on the third one. Oh, I gotcha. will catch up. I promise. But I would say he is picking up the pace because he's aware of his mortality now. Like I think he had like a, a, a scare at the hospital or something, and so he's fully aware oh, of the fact that he will die one day, and so he's working really hard to pump out as much as he can so that he does not leave any work unfinished like Robert Jordan did with the Wheel of Time. So hopefully he will get it done. And by the way, Robert Jordan, who wrote the Wheel of Time, is also Brandon Sanderson's like hero. So Yeah, uh didn't Brandon Sanderson finish off the Wheel of Time books? He did. He did. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right. So, so if we, we get can... to season fourteen of Wheel of Time, <laughs> it'll be just the Brandon Sanderson show. That's true. <laughs> So, yeah, let's look forward to the first season coming out in November. You will see how that goes, whether it takes off or not. Another trailer that recently dropped, this time for Netflix, is called Red Notice. It stars Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. Were you able to see this one? I was, actually. Isn't this uh, supposed to be Netflix's, like, it's their most funded movie? I believe so. It's their most expensive movie. Yeah, like a massive production budget. Yeah, it didn't look like it based on the trailer. It looked right? like it looked like a, a middle tier like expense for Netflix. Like Dune looked like it was more expensive than this, and I don't think it is. Right. Yeah, we so, can double I don't check know how the... Netflix expects to make their money back on this because it won't. Like, it's great to like make a big budget movie because you can capitalize on that but at a certain point it's too big a budget and too big a budget on advertisement and so it's, it becomes harder and harder to break even like the same thing happened with Waterworld in the 90s is they had like 150 160 million budget and then like another 100 million for uh the advertising the advertising and it made like 20 million the first weekend like it bombed it absolutely bombed so i don't know how Netflix is expecting to make up for that with one movie with superstars. Yes, but it is just one film and I'm sure they're hoping it'll move on to sequels, but I mean, it's just a spy thriller. It's nothing like super enticing. It's nothing that I don't even know if I want to watch it. It's just, it's a spy thriller with famous actors. I don't know how it ended up being that much. I'm sure a good chunk of it went to paying these people, these stars. <laughs> yes. For sure. Dwayne Johnson, apparently his price tag is 50 million. Jesus somewhere around Christ. There. So, yeah, that probably was a big chunk of it. Uh, it's also, I am curious as to, because Netflix has a weird business model anyway, where obviously it's not like people are paying for tickets to see these movies. So there's no easily identifiable box office that we can associate with the movies to determine sure. if they're a success or not. So it's just all about whether or not it, Trends on Twitter, trends on the top 10 of Netflix for at least a week or two in the top three. And if it has a lot of buzz around it, because that's the only real way we can tell. Unless Netflix does say, like, if it is a massive hit, they'll come out and say, oh, here's how many millions of households watched it. So we can use that as our metric. If they never end up telling us that, then it'll mean this was not as big of a success as they were hoping for. And that all that money they put towards the budget should have gone somewhere else certainly just so much money anyway impeachment which is the third series in the american crime story show premieres this week it is about the bill clinton's sex scandal with monica Lewinsky. uh it's got a stellar cast beanie feldstein plays monica Lewinsky. clive owen plays bill clinton 
uh, Edie Falco plays Hillary Clinton. I am excited for this. I did not watch the second season of American Crime Story just because I was not as interested in the Gianni Versace story. But I am interested in seeing a Bill Clinton story. I think I would like watching it. I really love the OJ one. So I think I may give it a shot if I can find it on a streaming service somewhere. Probably it's, Hulu. Well, yeah, because it's FX. So you yeah. can watch it on that channel for people that are still out there with cable. That's honestly probably how I'll be doing it. I'll watch it week to week. It premieres uh, for us tomorrow on the 7th. Um, and yes, because it's on FX, I believe they have that deal with Hulu. Yeah. So you'll be able to maybe the next day or the week after catch it on there. Yeah. So yes, I am also really excited for this. Monica Lewinsky is producing it. So this is really going to be the first time that at least in the mainstream side of things, we get her full story on this. Because, I mean, you and I obviously were not around for it, so we only get the secondhand knowledge of, like, the scandal and the impact it had. But, I mean, back in the day, certainly she was getting eviscerated in the media left and right. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see the way that she wants this really notorious scandal to be depicted. Um, and as you said, the first iteration of the American Crime Story with O.J. Simpson I really love one of these days we will do an episode dedicated to it because I it's mind boggling that whole (laughs) the chronicle of that whole trial was just insane and that had a superb cast it was superbly written and directed all that good stuff I also didn't catch uh the Gianni Versace one but (laughs) this one I will dive into it it's got that political intrigue which you know I'm all about um and it's such a notorious story so i'm interested to because like with the oj like we knew bits and pieces of it mm-hmm. but there was so much in there that i had just no clue about like the whole yeah. mark Furman stuff mm-hmm. mind-blowing so i'm anticipating there's going to be some stuff like that in here so i am very excited for it very 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 excited it should be a lot of fun mm-hmm. and finally for the news venom they have moved back uh, not to their September 24th date, but they have moved up to their October to October 1st. That is the new release date for Venom Let There Be Carnage. A few weeks ago, we talked about how they shifted away from that September date to the middle of October because they were getting scared of the Delta variant. And now they're moving back. Why? Because Shang-Chi tore it up at the box office this past Labor Day weekend. Dylan, this film is on your roster, so why don't yes, you go ahead was. and take it away and discuss what Shang-Chi did at the box office. So, of course, for our box office breakdown for September 3rd to September 5th, the Labor Day weekend, Shang-Chi made $75 million in the three-day. That is incredible. That smashes the previous Labor Day weekend of $30 million because Labor Day is a notoriously slow weekend. It has absolutely dominated that record. It will be hard to beat Shang-Chi in the future. Because $75 million for the first weekend of September is a great, great, great amount of money. It's so much more. It was more. It was $20 million more than the industry predictions. Uh, I mean, I'm blown away. This is close to what I thought. I, would get. I said somewhere between $70 and $80 million, So I was correct. Huzzah. <laughs> I'm very happy about that. It is a good start for Shang-Chi. And because it is a theater exclusive, I think it will have longer legs than Black Widow. And I think the drop will be less severe than we've seen in pandemic era. And especially Black Widow. Black Widow had a pretty steep drop. 
It has just edged out F9, which made 70 million, and to become the second best pandemic opening, which is again incredible. And overall, it has made 127 million worldwide, which is a great start to what I hope has long, long legs and gets to at least 500 million. Of course, I mean, if it if it did better than F9, F9 was able to reach 700 million. I'm hoping it could reach 500 million easily. Well, slow down there, buddy. I don't know. We'll we'll talk about that of the prospects of Shang Chi in these upcoming weeks, but for sure, in its opening weekend, it definitely uh, has a spotlight on it. The second best opening behind Black Widow. Really, really impressive, especially for the fact that this was an unestablished character, and given that this came out in a time that was less friendly to the theaters than when Black Widow came out. It Black Widow didn't have the Delta variant. Um, ruining everything so mm. really impressive for this one this is also the three-day uh box office gross that it got the four-day if you include labor day itself i believe the estimates we'll see if it actually gets there but they like rounding it up to get that nice whole number they're saying 90 million for the four-day domestically Hell which yeah. is really phenomenal because that beats out black widow's four-day mm-hmm. so Shang-Chi off to a great start here. It has also opened in 4,300 theaters, which is the biggest I think we've had so far uh, in the pandemic. So, and you saw how Sony responded moving Venom up. There's a bit more confidence in the box office, in the theaters now. Eternals, we'll see whether or not that goes to exclusive mm-hmm. instead of, because Kevin Feige mentioned he was going to wait and see. There's a possibility that it would go on Premier Access, but based on the success of this, it may end up going exclusive as well. And it's also even less likely that Spider-Man will move given the success of Shang-Chi. We're, we're still going to have to see about that because apparently word on the street is the VFX, which I'm sure in a film like that, there's a lot of it, is doing some crunch work right now mm-hmm. because they only finished filming earlier this year. Um, So it'd be a very quick turnaround to get that all finished by December. So that's why people are saying there may be, uh, that may be the reason that they want to push it a few months back into 2022. Mm -hmm. But here's hoping that it'll stay in its December slot. Um, And it's likely, even more likely based on Shang-Chi, that it will stay there. Because clearly people are willing to come out to certain movies if they believe it'll be a positive experience and with shang chi people felt that all right in second place we had Candyman that made 10 million which is a 52 percent drop which is decent it is yeah especially given the behemoth that they were up against that's Mm -hmm. a very solid second week hold yeah Uh, free guy had 8 million paw patrol the movie had 4 million jungle cruise also had about 4 million 3.9. 3.9. Don't don't inflate your ego there, Mr. Jones. No, no, no. In your roster. Well, 3. that was 9. the that was the estimate, which I wrote this on Sunday. And because mm-hmm. initially Shang-Chi was 71 million. That was the estimate. But yeah. I came in and I gave you that extra four million because the reports came should. in. And so I'll give myself the point one for Jungle Cruise. It's currently at four million. That's the estimate. Okay, buddy. <laughs> After Jungle Cruise was Don't Breathe 2 with 2.2 million. Respect has 1.2 million. The Suicide Squad has just shy of 1 million. And Black Widow 
thanks to the Marvel bump, is back in the top 10 in its ninth week, but it wasn't able to crack 1 million. And the Night House has a little bit less than Black Widow. Still under a million. All right, so now let's talk about some predictions. Shang-Chi, in its second weekend, what do you think that your one of your roster films will get? So I'm thinking that because it is not... Uh, it is a theater theatrical exclusive. It's not on Disney Plus. And because clearly there is no fear of the Delta variant if it made this much money in four days, 90 million in four days. Um, so the Delta variant isn't as much as a problem as we thought it might be. And because of word of mouth possibly spreading around, I'm thinking the drop will be a lot less severe than we've seen in the past. So I'm thinking it will probably land around 40 million, especially because there's not a lot of new entries that are coming this weekend that are super heavy hitters. So I'm thinking Shang-Chi can handle 40, maybe 50 million this weekend, which would really? be stellar. That would be stellar. You're doing more positive manifestations over there, Dylan? I'm, I mean, it worked last week, so I'm it trying. Did. It did. I am going to be a little more temperate with my prediction. I'll go for 30 million. I think it can probably get a bit more than that. But I think it'd be really impressive if it had a four in front of it. And I think it'd be crazy if it had a five in front of it. If it did, then you really would have a smash hit on your hands with this. And I would need to be more concerned about my movies that are coming up in the roster. But I I don't think it's going to have one of those massive 70% drops. But I do think it will get sliced in half at least. uh, And it's possible that it may fall below 30 million. But as Mm -hmm. you said... There's no competition in September. No massive movies coming out, which is why I think it's so stupid that Venom moved and that they didn't (laughs) move back to September 24th. I think that's so foolish. So Shang-Chi really will have a lot of legs uh, in these next few weeks to round up some Mm -hmm. more money. Uh, But I don't think it's going to do as well as you're saying in that second week. And I think it will have a standard blockbuster drop of at least 50%. um, but it could stay steady at just around 50%. Where do you think Shang-Chi will end up in the long run? Uh, Domestically or worldwide? Total worldwide. Total worldwide. So currently Black Widow's at 500 million, or is that including the Disney premiere access? Let me Uh, look that up. Because I know that it's probably not going to get more than Black Widow. I would be surprised if it did that. It is more well-received, especially among fans, than Black Widow is. But just given that it's not an established character and it, there is always a concern with Delta variant. Okay, I'm looking. Let me know what you Worldwide, found. Worldwide, I'm it's seeing $372 million. 372 Okay, gotcha then I think it probably could match that worldwide. I think it has the potential to, but if you noticed, as you said, 127 worldwide was a three day, I believe 139 is the four day. Mm -hmm. This seems domestic heavy and we know worldwide, you need to really have most of your stuff coming from the international markets. So I can see this domestically hitting 
175 million. Mm -hmm. And then combined with the international stuff, I could see it in the 400 to 500 million range. But again, this is also me like hoping it doesn't go beyond 500 million because then I'd have a problem. But I don't know if it will be able to reach, like for instance, where F9 is right now, especially without China. F9, remember, did have China. Black Widow did not. And Mm Shang-Chi currently doesn't have a release date in China. This is true. Many of our upcoming films do not, which is worrisome for us. Yes. Uh, so that's where a big chunk of our money is coming from. And it's, yeah, that's why we're not hitting the numbers we should be hitting. So if it doesn't end up getting a Chinese release date, I definitely think it'll suppress what it's able to get at the box office. So I think its ceiling would be 500 million. And I'm going to ballpark around 400 million is where it's going to get unless it really goes on the terror in the international markets over these next few weeks. But I feel like given that it wasn't doing gangbusters over there in its opening weekend. I don't see how um, it'll do that much better over these next few weekends. I think mm-hmm. the big driving force will be domestically, uh, but the international market won't do as much as say it did for F9, which really bolstered that it's box office numbers. I'm thinking that if Shang-Chi ever gets more of a wider release date for more countries because right now it's very limited right now if it gets more release dates and it gets more views i could see it getting closer to 500 maybe even 600 because i mean if you look at things like f9 it, it's bringing in a lot of money from a lot of countries that like smaller amounts like 2 million per country but you multiply that by like 10 different countries that Shangxi has not opened in yet i mean it could bring in a lot of money but it just has not released yet for whatever reason same for or black widow has more of a release than Shang-Chi is why Blackwood has been able to hold on so long into our top 10 is because it's being released more and more in more different countries. And I'm thinking that Shang-Chi, which has a better rep now than Black Widow does in terms of word of mouth, I'm thinking that it could get a higher box office than Black Widow because definitely word of mouth against Black Widow went against it as well as Disney Plus in terms of foreign uh, box office numbers. But we have some other releases this weekend. Malignant which is a new James Wan horror film that will also be on HBO Max. Uh, I've seen clips of the, I've seen brief images of the trailer on YouTube before I watch other videos. So I have a brief understanding of what it's about. I believe it's about uh, this girl and her imaginary friend, but the imaginary friend is real and terrifying or something. It's probably a ghost. Uh, Something of that area. It is a James Wan horror film and James Wan typically does very well at the box office. Typically, Conjuring 3, which I believe he produced, did not do so well. So I'm saying original James Wan, actually directed by James Wan, could probably get around 15 million. I think that's a solid guess. That's right where I wanted to go as well. Just Mm -hmm. because, again, horror films, I mean, it brings people out. We've seen with The Conjuring, people are so willing to go out there. I think James Wan, essentially, they've definitely been promoting that aspect of it. He's a known name in the horror uh, field, so people may want to go out and support him for that reason. But I don't know if it will be able to get over $20 million. Um, But again, Candyman was able to do that, but that had an established property. Mm-hmm. Conjuring 3 was the third installment 
So that's why I don't think it'll reach the same level as the same openings that those films got. But I can't see it it being a horror film and it being James Wan, it being below double digits. So yeah, my safe little mid-range guess would be 15 as well. Perfect. And the last movie, new movie coming out this weekend is called Queen Pins. It stars Kristen Bell and Vince Vaughn and Kirby Howell Baptiste. It is from Sticks Films, and I didn't know anything about this movie until today, and I looked it up before we started recording. And I have a very strong feeling that this will fall flat. Really, really hard bomb. I'm thinking no more than 8 million, maybe like 4 or 5. Like, I don't think it's going to do well in the slightest, because it's up against Shang-Chi, a new James Wan horror film, Candyman, and Free Guy, which is still holding on pretty well. I just can't fathom that queen pins is going to be the one that cleans up this weekend in the slightest <laughs> right i agree with you because i think the marketing on this has been really poor mm-hmm. i didn't know about it until earlier in this week in our <laughs> advertising class we were looking at different trailers and this is one of them and i had never seen it or heard of it before so the fact that you didn't know about it i didn't know about it I don't think the general public is really going to know about it. So I don't think people are just going to know that this film exists to go see it. You kind of need people to be aware that your film is coming out in order for them to show up opening weekend. So, and it's sad to say, because I mean, I like Kristen Bell in this. Um, It does seem like a cute little story. It's definitely for like the suburban moms, but it seems nice enough. But I also agree that it will probably do very badly. Not going to break double digits. I'd go 6 million. Okay, so yeah, around uh, my guess, I think we're understanding the same wavelength here for this weekend other than Shang-Chi. We will see next week when all of this comes around. Now it's time to talk about our main topic, which is, of course, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, we watched it over this weekend. We both have mixed feelings about it. Overall, more positive than negative, for me at least. What were your initial thoughts, Ryan? So, I really loved the action in this, specifically when it's people, human beings going at it. Mm -hmm. I thought that stuff was great. Like, the martial arts in this film is really incredible. The Mm -hmm. stunt work they did, the set pieces that they created in order to showcase these martial arts stuff. We'll talk about the bus, um, the scaffolding on the side of the building. That stuff was amazing. And I was fully entertained, 100% mm-hmm. worth the price of admission, being in there with 100 plus other people in that theater. Definitely worth it for that stuff. For me, the emotional side of it, the family dynamics, the more human elements that they were trying to include in here, didn't work for me mm-hmm. and so that's why when we talk about having the mixed reaction that's where those negative feelings come in i wasn't as attached to it as they clearly wanted us to be mm-hmm. and then i would also say the action scenes toward the end where it became more about cgi monsters fighting each other against the green screen where we could hardly even see where our human characters were in the whole mix. Mm -hmm. That's when it was really, really falling flat for me. I think it started out incredibly strong and progressively throughout the film, 
with each action sequence that they did, it became less and less compelling. And by the end, because I didn't have that emotional investment in it, and it just became essentially a kaiju CGI battle, I was not fond of that. Those are my initial thoughts. What about you? My initial thoughts were very similar to yours. I do have a more of an appreciation for the final battle sequence than I think you do, just from a technical standpoint for the CGI. Even though there are shots that definitely get a little muddled, like different shots where Shang-Chi is on the dragon that's flying through the air, fighting the demon that's also flying through the air. It definitely gets a little muddled, but the design of the dragon, the design of the monster, and the design of, you know, everything building up like when it when the camera moves way 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 out and you have the grand scale of things the design of all that cgi wise looks really really good i thought the design of a lot of the creatures looked really really good and of the world it looks believably like really really good what i was disappointed by the most other than like story stuff which we'll get into later was there's the beginning fight scene with uh Tony Lung and the mother and they have this beautiful fight scene that is reminiscent of like uh, late 90s, early 2000s, martial arts, China Opera House, uh, China films like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and the House of Flying Daggers. And you have that beautiful, like all the saturated, super saturated colors and they're doing great wire work and it all looks really, really good. And then that sort of goes away, which I was okay because then they lean more into the Jackie Chan style of like like realistic China opera house fighting for most of the movie with Shang-Chi. And then they get a, they give like a hint of it at the end with when Shang-Chi is training with uh, Michelle Yao. And like, she does like that cool thing where she like uh, moves the leaves with the wind the and it looks super bending. cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like super excited to see that kind of stuff again. Like that was seen in the beginning that was done really well. And then they just don't do it. They it's just it's a brief martial arts fight between Tony Lung and uh, Simi Lu, and then it's just CGI for the rest of it. And I was really looking forward to more of that sort of wirework sort of martial arts fighting that they could have done, but chose not to do, which was a bit of a disappointment. But the opening sequence, if they had if they had done stuff like the opening sequence at the end again to sort of bookend it, it would have been amazing. But they relied more on like CGI fighting with the Ten Rings, which I understand why they did it. It just could have been done better, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I do want to talk about, like, we can start out more on those positive aspects. The bus scene, I think that had to be the absolute highlight of the film. Because mm-hmm. that was just so good. I mean, straight up heart pumping action it looked incredible they had a lot of moments where as you were mentioning it's more of the grounded martial arts style and so the camera work wasn't like cutting around between these cgi monsters or anything like that mm-hmm. um there's also no like obviously blatant wire work going on um which is done artistically of course but for me i just appreciate more of the the choreography where it's the heart pumping action where fists are straight flying at each other. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot more human to human contact in the fighting. That stuff was so good. And the way that they were able to raise the stakes in having 
the bus. It's funny that we talked about speed mm. a couple weeks ago. Because, I mean, they do that here where the brakes get uh, cut, so they're unable to stop. And so you have Aquafina having to drive it uh, while Shang-Chi is taking down all these random assassins that are trying to take his amulet, um, or his pendant, rather. It was just so fun to watch. Everything about that, I was enjoying it. That's pure entertainment right there. Mm -hmm. I will say I do take a slight issue with the bus scene, and it's a very, very, very slight issue. It's just I feel like they cut too often, which is is like, that's just me being used to the Jackie Chan style of uh, filming martial arts choreography. It's very much uh, film as much as you can and then cut to a reaction shot of the person falling. So like you have two characters, they'll do martial arts, they'll fight back and forth, and then there'll be a big swift kick. And then you'll do the reverse shot of them falling back onto a table. It's very much like cutting as few times as you possibly can so that you can stay on the action. And it did feel like the martial arts was there and the choreography was there and it was done really well. And it did feel like it was closer to the more modern martial arts movies where it is cutting a lot, but not as crazy as those movies because those ones are to the point where you can't really see what's happening. And this one, it was cut very well. It was just cut too many times, but I could very clearly see the action. I was very clearly engaged in the action. It was really good. The stunt work that they were doing in between the martial arts fighting where Shang-Chi is climbing around the bus on the outside, on the inside, moving people around. I thought all of that was really, really well done. And of course, the choreography, the martial arts itself is absolutely incredible in this scene. So props to them for making uh, one of the better martial arts sequences that I've seen in the past for movies from the past, like decade, two decades. Very, very well done. Right. Yeah. It's no raid or raid two, but it is Mm -hmm. still really solid action. It's funny that you brought that up about the cutting back and forth and whatnot. Mm -hmm. For me, where the edits were becoming slightly troublesome was with the the fight on the scaffolding on the side of the mm-hmm. building which i think that's a, such a cool set piece and the way that they're able to like swing around on all the scaffolding and whatnot and how they incorporate that into the action that was really exciting the same way you talked about with the buzz how he was thrown out of it at one point had to get back in and is dealing with moving these people around when he used that woman's laptop in the fight and she's like no yeah that was, was- I will say that was really well cut because you have this very quick thing where he grabs the laptop and smacks the guy with it, but you still get that shot of the woman saying no, and you get the the feeling because everybody in the theater went ooh, yeah, because <laughs> we, we know we all know that her papers on there. We all know the the absolute distraught feeling of losing a paper. Yes, that really punched me in the gut. Yeah, as I before recording this was currently working on my research paper. So yeah, that one hit home for sure. Um, but yeah, that that issue with the cutting, I felt for me was much more pronounced when they were on that scaffolding fight. Yes, yeah, sometimes it was very hard to follow where we were and who exactly was throwing the punches and how they were dodging it. Um, it just the geography of it got muddled, I think there, but it was still very exhilarating. And what they did with Aquafina's character, Katie, right, mm-hmm. where she was dangling off the side um that also got a reaction out of me i was i mean obviously you know everything's gonna end up being okay but 
they really milked that out like how far that bamboo stick or whatever it was was bending over Mm. um and you see you really feel the urgency of shang chi trying to get over there you're still not entirely sure how he's gonna be able to save her and get her back um Mm -hmm. so that to me definitely worked how do you feel about that whole scaffolding sequence and even the fight club moment before it yeah i like the scaffolding i like the design of that sort of fight club area i like what they did with that making it sort of punk and very modern as opposed to something more classical like the opening sequence and so you you have this so they've designed this great set piece with the scaffolding on the side of the building but when you look at it in a behind the scenes photo it's probably just going to be like the scaffolding set in front of a green screen and then with a bunch of lights around it and you've got a real scaffolding that they're standing on and it's just really thin poles and so they're trying to do all this martial arts fighting while bouncing and probably a lot of them if not all of them are on wires to make sure they don't fall because even though they're not up many many stories they're probably still probably 10 15 feet off the ground and they could still get hurt and so wires for at least the principal actors are definitely like a good idea and so i could see why they had to cut a lot because it is hard to have them have a prolonged shot of two people having a very intense martial arts battle while balancing on top of these beams because it is scaffolding it's real scaffolding that they're standing on even though it's front of the green screen but i feel like if they really took the time and they really practiced and they really had enough time to work on their balance work. They could have found a way to do those long shots of them fighting on this scaffolding and it would have made it 1000 times better and infinitely cooler. But the idea in general to use scaffolding is a very Jackie Chan kind of thing. The whole uh, moving around real quickly around the bamboo for all the different characters was super cool. And then adding Aquafina in there as a little bit of a, an extra risk was a really good idea because she can't bounce at all as a character, which is great. And so I say, this is still a plus for me. I, I do see what you're saying. Looking at the list of all the set pieces, I do see what you're saying where it kind of goes down and down and down and down worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Like the bus is like for me, Tony Leung and the mother is the best fight sequence because it's just it's like a dance. It's like a choreographed, beautiful dance that you would see at an opera house. And then the bus is very much like an action packed sort of sitting on the edge of your seat, heart throbbing kind of scene. And the scaffolding is very much like trying to combine those two elements and creating a beautiful set piece while also creating heart thumping action. But then you're cutting too much. And so it kind of detracts from one another. And then after that, we get to the next big action sequence is the car chase when they're leaving the compound which for me is probably my least favorite it just didn't work at all if you ask me i just feel like the the way it was edited i just could not tell what was happening at any moment until they were outside of the compound but at that point it was just driving through a forest like for me eh, not not a big fan of that little in the garage car chase that they did right yeah that was also just all right for me um but let's shift right now to talk about some of the character elements before we get back to that whole final third act Mm -hmm. battle that they do um so we had talked a little bit about this after the movie when we had seen it um obviously the emotional core of this is meant to be the family Mm -hmm. drama and we get that information as a viewer through these flashbacks 
And I think for you and me, these flashbacks didn't necessarily work. So For me, the problem was they would be more effective if they were rearranged in a better way. Because they were filmed really well and they were filmed really powerful. Like his mother's death. And then uh, after that, the scene where his father takes him to the place to get revenge. Those are both great, great scenes and they're really beautiful. And I feel like rearranged it would have been better to put that all of that stuff in the beginning at least most of it and so you have that setup of like we know the family we know what the drama is we know how scary his father is because at the very beginning we have like he's a scary dude he's murdered a lot of people he's been alive for thousands of years and then he settles down to a family and then you're like is he still evil though and you don't really get that good side of him until halfway through the movie when they show flashbacks of him being a good father and they're playing dance dance revolution and he's out <laughs> shopping for them and stuff that would have served better if that was in the beginning, because we would have seen him be the ruthless warlord and then seen the effect that the mother has on him and how, how important she was to him and changing him fundamentally and how her death shaped him into the warlord again in a more ruthless manner. He refuses to take off the 10 rings. He's always wearing them now. And He's out for revenge. And then that would have fueled that whole drama of he hears the mother's voice and is trying to get her out. That would have been like, okay, maybe he's crazy. Maybe he's not. And then once we hear the mother's voice, we're like he's hearing her. Okay. We understand his motivation more clearly. We understand why he's doing it because we understand exactly how important she was to him. I just feel like it would have been better if all those flashback scenes were just packed right in the beginning, other than maybe the, the one at the end where the son where Shang Changji is uh, over his mother as she's dying, and she like says, uh, "Like the dragons inside of you, like you have the dragon in you." That kind of thing that served good where it was. I like that being there. But if you had taken all the other ones and just packed them all in the beginning as one big sort of like up style uh, montage of the family growing older together and the drama that's associated with that, I think it would have done better. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm not too sure if that would have been more effective in getting me emotionally invested in it because i know where they were like i saw the reasoning for where they were placed in the film as it is mm -hmm. and they all sort of make sense i mean they give a slight break to our present day action and they inform us more about these characters beforehand and it's somewhat like i can see the rationale of initially we want to still think that he's a bad guy which is why he's pursuing shang chi and the sister but then you realize oh there was a brief period of time where because of the mother that he was more subdued um and had softened but i don't know if you put all that in the very very beginning that definitely i think can make us relate more to shang chi because we also in the beginning um it's a weird way that they did it where we relate more to Aquafina's character, who is completely not in the know about what's going on, about why Shang-Chi is being pursued, who the sister is, why she might be getting pursued. Mm -hmm. Like, he knows all that stuff. And he also knows that he's a martial artist and all that stuff. We don't. And so we're not necessarily relating with him early on. We're relating with her, who's finding out all this information. So maybe that would have helped connect us better with his character and get more emotionally invested in where he's coming from and then by extension would uh, make us hear more about the family drama uh, mm -hmm. since we would know all this stuff up front but then that would also risk 
maybe the pacing of it or just starting with so much of it being backstory as opposed to present day um, that may make people disinterested in it. Um, but the way it was right now, can't speak to whether or not it would have been better had those flashbacks come in the beginning. I'm not entirely sure it would have uh, made that family drama work better for me. But as it was in the film itself, didn't fully work. I like Tony Leung uh, and the way that his character is framed. Like I like the complexity of him being this bad guy for so long and then mm -hmm. meeting this woman. He softens down, becomes a family man, but then in her death, goes right back to his old ways. Yeah, I love um, it. Like I think his I think he was a good villain for this movie. For sure. I think it was very believable. And his performance was also very good. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. but like even when and again the spoiler is at the end here, even when he like made that choice, or I forget if he was already grabbed by the soul sucker people. Um but he's just looking at Shang Chi knowingly as like, oh this is it. Um and then he gets like, it wasn't, rings. Yeah, it wasn't that affecting for me like i feel like it could have been such an emotional note but for me it just wasn't mm -hmm. um, but overall i still really appreciate what they were going for with that villain definitely i think one of the better marvel ones mm -hmm. um, just because there was rationale behind him and the connection that he had with the main characters certainly helped um like i like i do really like how when he shows up uh, and they he successfully gets the pendants from the kids now he's just like, okay, now let's go back home. And what we initially thought was always going to come and prison them or something like that. You're just like, oh, come on, guys, we're going back home. Like it lets you have your few years away from home to figure yourselves out, have a little bit of individuality, but time to come back home and do what we need to do as a family. Mm -hmm. Like I just like that approach to it. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing with the sister, I want to get your opinions on the sister's role in it. this film because for me that was probably the least effective part certainly of the family dynamic it definitely seemed unnecessary right i just don't other know than, other than what the fact, it was other than the second post credit scene where they set her up as being the now runner of the ten rings she seemed utterly unnecessary for the most part there was no big emotional like through line for her character other than it's this exact same one as shang chi and the only thing that could make her stand out is like Shang-Chi left her and that's like something that he feels guilty about. But they don't really capitalize on that sort of. Yes. Thank you. That's what I'm saying, because that seemed to be like that was the character drama, the conflict that Shang-Chi and his sister had is she's still resentful towards him because he left mm -hmm. and then she left on her own and created her whole empire. Mm -hmm. Um it but just seems like that, it was a problem until it wasn't a problem, which isn't much of a resolution. I agree, because they didn't really resolve it. They didn't yeah. hash it out in any way. They didn't really argue about it beyond that just initial part where mm -hmm. she then left him, but then came back when he was getting intact. Uh, like there wasn't an actual arc that they had with the issues they had with each other. Mm -hmm. You could argue at the end when she gets on that dragon and then he gets on the dragon, and then the big soul sucker is about to eat the dragon soul, and she's about to fall off of it. And she's like, you got to let me go. And he doesn't. Like, maybe that could be, okay, so previously he left her, but now he's holding on to her. He's not going to abandon her. Maybe that could work if, again, they had more setup. Because when they get to Talo, the mythical village, 
they just don't interact like they're both training on their own they don't speak to each other yeah. again they don't progress in that relationship at all so there wasn't really build up to that i also really hate this decision because the dragon is getting its soul sucked out and we know it's been established that if that the soul sucker gets too powerful it'll be able to break out of this world and then go to the regular one and tear things up Mm -hmm. I don't know if Shang-Chi necessarily knew that, but we as the audience knew that. No, he knew. Oh, well, then even worse. He knows that. And he, she is saying, like, be rational about this. Be practical. You need to stop this soul sucker. You cannot let the dragon get killed. Fight it. Let me go so you can focus on destroying that. And he goes like, no, I won't leave you again. If that's a bad decision, that's not heroic at all. What if Aquafina wasn't there with the arrow to cut through the soul sucker? Great, you saved your sister. Now, two minutes later, she and everyone else gets destroyed by the soul sucker because now he has the dragon soul and is super powerful and can destroy everything. Like, I get they were trying to do some character moment there and resolve that sibling strife, mm -hmm. but it means that he sacrificed what he's supposed to be doing, which is being the hero and saving the world. Like, it wasn't a solid heroic decision to... I just... I don't see any instance in a million years where he would drop her like reasonably but what i would see is her being more rational in that moment and finding a way to break herself free and dropping herself that's what i'm which, saying like which that would have been, been better. a much better way to to end it because again she's sort of like maybe that could resolve her arc and previously she was unable to see why shang chi needed to leave quote unquote abandon her but that's not what he was doing he just was needing to save himself there and so now she's recognizing her doing this, like her cutting herself off from him, would be allowing him to do what he needs to do, um, which previously was, again, saving himself, and now it's saving the whole village, saving the world. That would have made much more sense. You're right, because... But it also wouldn't work. Like, had they had Shang-Chi drop her, it still wouldn't work because there wasn't enough set up there. And we there also just would not have thought he was a hero. It's like, oh my god, why would you just drop your sister? You're letting her go again. No, like, I mean, there's I, definitely scenarios where, like, people have to do that, where someone's like, yo, I gotta be sacrificed, and the person, like, lets it happen. But in a Marvel movie, it never happens. Like, they never let the sacrifice happen to another person. They always try to make the sacrifice themselves. Maybe we can, I don't know where my Marvel knowledge is right now to pull up a contradiction to that, but I'm sure there's some instance where something along those lines happens. But... I still just don't like the way that they did it here where it was like, yes, he was like, I'm not going to let you go sister. Even though it means resigning everyone else to death in this village because of the soul sucker. Like it was just pure luck that that didn't happen. It was somebody else's character coming through, mm -hmm. um, which is why I just didn't like that. It was happenstance that that decision didn't cost them everything. Mm -hmm. And so that undercut, I felt like any sort of heroism that we would be, um, anticipating in Shang-Chi. I think my additional problem on top of that is if we did get the situation where he's holding on and he's like, I won't leave you again. And she says something like, you're not leaving me, you're letting me go. And then like cuts it off herself and then dies. If the resolution to the big soul sucker is still Aquafina, then it just feels like what was the point of her sacrifice when Aquafina was like maybe like what 30 seconds too late, I guess. Right. But I mean, if, yeah. if it had been completely Shang-Chi who defeated the dragon and not with the help of Aquafina, like it was a good character moment for Aquafina. 
But if you're going to kill off the sister, then Shang-Chi has to solve the problem entirely himself. That way, there was a reason for him to drop her. And he now has both hands free and has the ability to beat this monster on his own. Right. Yeah, I mean, there would definitely, there would have to be some like a rewriting of the rest of the stuff in order to make it all mm-hmm. work. I'm just saying, as it was, that particular decision, I felt because it didn't really relate to what the whole, the sister's arc was, or was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it made Chang-Chi seem like less of a hero for, like, putting that personal relationship over the necessity of protecting the world. It just feel, it felt strange. But he did end up killing like it was him with the power of the rings that ended up destroying that big soul sucker thing in the end so yeah yeah but it was like it was like agafina's arrow is the reason why his sister didn't yes. have to die and like if they if if the sister did die then you could just cut out the whole aquafina hitting with an arrow and just cut to shang chi doing a pile driver onto the monster <laughs> right uh okay the other thing i wanted to mention mm-hmm. about the character stuff was also with Shang-Chi I'm interested to see your perspective on this Mm -hmm. because I was also curious as to what his whole arc was supposed to be like what in the end allowed him to be able to channel the power of the Ten Rings like what did he learn what change did he go through in order to do that because to me it seems like it was just he was able to do that because he was his father's son and he was able to have the dragon thing mm-hmm. come through like that ex machina because he happened to be the daughter or the yeah. son rather of his mother um those two things like that the sister also has those same things so why is shang chi why was it him who was able to do this and not her because i don't see how we couldn't have just substituted him for her and the same thing would have happened like what character growth did he go through that allowed him only him to be the one that was able to utilize the rings in order to defeat his father and then end up saving the day yeah it wasn't a great story point that he's just magical now i wish they had explained that a little bit further like maybe had a moment where like because he's the firstborn there's something special about him and Mm -hmm. then like he has shirked off these responsibilities for the majority of his life because he's running from his father because he really seems like when they're starting it seems like he's the kind of like origin story where he's avoiding responsibility, but by the end of it, he has to accept that responsibility. It seems like that's what they were trying to go for. And if that's the case, then they have to give him a responsibility to have, which they don't really do until like the last third of the movie where they're like, it's your responsibility to beat this thing because he's your father and you're a good guy. And like, that's the reason which isn't strong enough. If you ask me, there should have been a thing where like, for some reason he's special because he's the, the combination of, uh, his father, who is the the ruler of the Ten Rings, and his mother, who is the guardian of Tylo, like that combination should have created something inside of him that is makes him unique, and that could have been it would have been an ex machina, sure, but it would have been a reason for him to be able to do these things, to be able to channel the Ten Rings and to call the dragon at the same time. And it would have just made everything more epic because now he's accepting whatever responsibility he has, which is clearly defined at the beginning of the movie rather than a fake responsibility to find at the end. Right. Yeah, that was just one of my other major concerns with it is I just didn't know mm-hmm. what like growth he was able to go through that made it be him and only him as the person that needed to be able to like harness the ten rings and 
defeat the father and save the day because yeah. anything that like those things that apply to him like as you mentioned like him being born the child of the magical mother and then the ten ring father like that also applies to the sister and so they didn't go through anything else and also we know she's just as capable as of a fighter she's been fighting for more like he was doing ballet parking she was doing a whole fight club thing so ostensibly she has more fighting capabilities than he did so it just didn't make sense to me like they didn't do enough character work to show oh here's a specific reason maybe not even from like a specialness standpoint of like those external circumstances of him being born special but just some like internal character work that made it that he was capable of doing this whereas his sister was not like she didn't have the right mindset or headspace or something like that like even if they had it be oh he has the humility to do this training with michelle yo's character in order to understand his roots on his mother's side and harness these magical powers like maybe if they did that that'd be interesting like if he was rejecting that initially because of his shame about the mother being gone and his role in that like if he had blame for himself since he was there but now he's accepting it and is doing the training and connecting with his mother's side and that's what allows him to have the connection with the dragon and then with the rings that could have worked just anything that made it plausible that okay it's him only him the movie is called shang chi because he goes through this growth or has this revelation or was able to obtain this ability it just they didn't give enough reason for me as to why he was the main character as compared to substituting for just any other child that would have been born to those two characters the mother and father yes i agree uh another thing to bring up is the side characters two of which were kind of comedic relief aquafina less so aquafina's character was the uh the pseudo romantic character to shang chi they were not explicitly romantic in any way they were explicitly friends which is fine but she took the role of that sort of what would be the romantic character. Uh, I thought she was great. I thought she was funny. I do have a thing with Aquafina where I'm not like 100% on board with her delivery of jokes. Like, because sometimes it is very hit or miss. But when she does hit, it hits well. Like when she does deliver it in a way that I think is funny, it is like outrageously funny. <laughs> so I think Aquafina does make a good uh co-lead with shang chi i'm glad to see her take on a role like this because i've only seen her as either uh side characters like very very side characters who are only comedic relief kind of like ben kingsley is in this movie or the one lead role she had that was uh, underappreciated starkly which was the farewell and mm -hmm. so i'm glad to see her getting a more mainstream role where she can actually bust out some acting chops as well as be a comedic relief of some sorts and so i was really satisfied with her character i will say though it was weird i'm like iffy on this her being a marksman just instantly i'm yeah. iffy on it <laughs> i'm iffy yeah. on it because it seems unbelievable at the same time they set it up in the fact that she's like not good at anything and she's talking about how like if she's not good at some or if she's not good at something she'll just drop it and walk away and so she just never does anything and she just doesn't really care about doing anything and they have that to set up the fact that finally she's good at something but at the same time it's been a day like it's yeah. been less than a day and she hit 
a target dead on that was a good half mile away. Like that takes Olympic level talent to do. And I just it's hard to believe. I would agree with that. I like the mini arc that she's able to get mm-hmm. and that she's able to have an actual role in the battle. But I mean, yeah, that is a supreme level of suspension of disbelief that you yes. have to go through in believing she be instantly becomes a marksman. But for me, I mean, you know, I am a big fan of Aquafina. Mm-hmm. Her role in the farewell, I of course loved. And any any role that she is in, I think she gives it such life. She's one of those people that I think is always interesting on screen and no matter what she does. Mm-hmm. So this is no exception. I really loved all the jokes she had here. Also, yeah, one of the strongest elements of this film, I believe, is the Shang-Chi, um, Katie relationship that they yeah, have. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. very enjoyable. They have very good chemistry on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think like, it's fantastic. The whole beginning portion of them and then them ending with the bar, telling the whole story to the their friends like that stuff is all just great very enjoyable stuff the other Uh, great relationship in this movie is (laughs) ben kingsley's trevor slattery and morris yes (laughs) whatever it is the The headless blushy thing yeah (laughs) i thought ben kingsley was amazing in this role i again i also thought he was amazing in iron man 3 i just thought it was a bad plot point to include at the time but I still thought he was hilarious and like he did do a really good job. And he's still like to see him 10 years later, be able to just walk right into that character immediately. Cause it is the exact same character is just absolutely amazing. The way he talks, it's just like everything he says ends with a question. Um, I'm Trevor, Trevor Slattery. It's just, just the way he speaks is so funny. It's so incredible. I mean, it's such a, he is 100% the comedic relief for the second half of the movie. Like it's all on his shoulders. The comedy is, and it's just outrageously funny. Oh, a hundred percent. The fact that he's in it for so long as well. I mm-hmm. thought it was just going to be that initial part where they find him in the prison, but my mm-hmm. man is in the remainder of the film. And yeah. that was a massive welcome, pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. He was fantastic in this. So yeah, any scene he's in, is also going to get you to laugh at some point. This was worth the bad plot point Iron Man 3. Like, I was upset when it happened because I thought it was just kind of stupid, but I do think it was well worth it because now we have, not only this, but we do have that sort of, I love the scene where uh, Tony Leung is talking about the Mandarin and how they named him after an orange. Yeah. And how he thinks is, he was just so frustrated. And I love the idea of him hunting out the person who was playing the character, who was just an actor, and like going to kill him and then deciding he's funny. I'll just leave him around. I just love that idea that like he, that Trevor Slattery is just like talking his way through these situations, not knowing what's happening. It's just so funny. Yeah. That part was great. Um, all right. Other thoughts that you want to have about the movie itself do you want to talk about the post credit scene uh i was led to believe that the post credit scene was like mouth like jaw on the floor like gasping sort of crazy and was <laughs> i was not it did not follow through on that it was just uh mark ruffalo made an appearance and brie larson made an appearance and of course wong was already in the movie but he's there as well and they're just talking about some magical element within the 10 rings themselves. And uh, I guess it's just good setup. It's a good mystery. 
that will get resolved one day, but it was not like crazy. It was not anything like crazy at all. This just seems like something that they're setting up for the long run. Like it's not going to get resolved in Eternals. It's not going to get resolved in Spider-Man. It's not going to get resolved in Doctor Strange. It's not going to get resolved in the Marvel. It might get resolved in the Marvels because Captain Marvel was in it, but that's 2022. Like this is something that they're setting up for a long run. So I'm not as interested in it. If it was something that set up Eternals or something that set up Spider-Man, I'd be like on my feet cheering, getting excited because like if they'd done a post-credits scene like that, it would be building up to what's next rather than what's next, next, next. But I mean, it was still great to see Mark Ruffalo as always. It's always great to see Wong. And it was well worth it because of when they do karaoke <laughs> at the end is, yeah. is fantastic. That right. was a great punchline to end on. Yeah, Hotel California. Who would have thought? Mm. Had its time to shine in this film. Um, yeah, for me, it was also, I mean, it was cool seeing Mark Ruffalo again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I have no clue what they could be referring to or could be setting up. Yeah, there was no hint either. There was no like hint of what it could possibly be. It's just, there is something about what the rings are. They're Maybe like, something very old that I don't know. They yet, don't know. But... Yeah, it's possible. Well, some people are saying it may lead into I don't know because in the comics the rings are from an alien planet that also has an alien named Thing Thing Boom or something like that. Uh, that that could be relating to that and maybe setting up the sequel there. Yeah, but that would feel weird to include Mark Ruffalo and Brie Larson and Wong, like to have all these major folks from the Avengers films coming through to set up what would just be the next Shang Chi movie with the rings. Like it does seem like they were going for a very big picture setup, but yeah, I'm not too sure what that is going to be. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, then the post credit scene, the one that had his sister taking over the uh, that also ten just rings. seems more like general setup. Yeah. Do you think that's going to be like a Disney Plus show they're doing? I'm hoping that's setting up the actual Shang Chi sequel, and that yeah. something's going to go on there um, where Chi sort of leans into a villainous role with that organization. That Shang Chi will have to um, take a look at that, and they sort of confront each other more. I'm hoping that's more of the direction they go yeah. instead of some other Disney Plus show. I think it just feels more like they're building out the world at this point and they're just like letting you know where the characters are and what they're doing so that when they want to bring them back, you're aware of what they've been doing this whole time. So now we know that this character of the sister is in charge of the Ten Rings and from now until the next time we see her, she's just running that that organization and there's no questions, there's no... Like, we need to know what was happening. What has she been doing? It's just she is running this organization and they may get more in depth with it later. It just seems like it's more building out what is happening between the movies with the characters. And I could see it setting up to be her being a villain. It just doesn't seem right, though. Like, the whole thing is that she is a good guy and she was a good guy this whole movie. Like, at the end of uh, Doctor Strange, when Mordo is like, he like quits and he walks away and then they have the post credit scene where he, he kills the guy by taking the the magic back. Like that's setting up someone to be who was a good guy the whole movie, turning him into a villain. Like that's how you set that up for her. She was like a good guy this whole time. And she was a good guy at the very end of the movie in the post credit scene. She's just running the organization and is not inherently defined as a bad guy. True. So, but I mean, you have to wonder what is someone doing with an organization that for thousands of years has been used for assassinations and political maneuverings and whatnot 
Yes, of course. But she also did say at some point in the movie that she wanted to create her own empire. And this is the empire that she's created. And in no way do we have any... It's just there's no way to know whether it will be a good empire or a bad empire. So I is guess there there's any suspense in that. But... good empire, Dylan? I don't know. I have no I mean, clue. the I feel show like... empire? <laughs> Not quite. I mean, we saw it. Jesse Smollett. Yeah, the characters on or the actors a part of that show, apparently, uh, not always good either. I don't know. I would. That's what is interesting to me. If they did end up having a heel turn for her, and she does get really ambitious and sort of gets carried away with this new empire and having the control that it would bring, like I think that would be an interesting way to do it. Yeah. So uh, that's the only thing that makes me think okay this is an interesting post credit scene if it's anything okay. else if it's like setting up a disney plus show or if she's just gonna be good and now has this organization by her side that just doesn't interest me it just doesn't like yeah it, unless she's the villain it just doesn't serve a purpose as being a post credit scene if right. they want to have her be the good guy then just don't make that the post credit scene just have her be the good guy that you could throw that at the end of the movie and nobody would care it just <laughs> seems like I was really waiting for something crazy to happen and nothing crazy happened. So that was a little bit of disappointment. Gotcha. Any final thoughts on Shang-Chi? Uh, I do think it is important to note how this is a seminal moment in Hollywood and cinematic history. Mm-hmm. As we finally have a big tentpole blockbuster that is providing on-screen representation for ballet drivers dylan how do you feel about that representation (laughs) i feel i'm in love with it i mean i feel so represented as a ballet driver myself i i feel like it's about damn time you know (laughs) it's for me it's been a long time coming and um it's it's good to see it's good to see the (laughs) representation right in all seriousness though it is really meaningful that we have solid good positive asian representation of course now part of this marvel cinematic universe which of course is the biggest thing in movies right now so and as we know from the people that we watched it with it is really important it is really meaningful and touching so glad that we are having more representation that audiences are able to see themselves on screen in a positive light so this film is 100 percent important for that reason um yeah, let's go into the ratings. Dylan, what would you give it out of, it's kind of low-hanging fruit, but out of five rings, we don't get the full ten. You just get the five. One When or- when they're doing the battle and he and uh, and the bad guy has five rings and Shang-Chi has five rings, we're talking about Shang-Chi's five rings. Out of yes. those five rings, what do you rate it, Ryan? I'm giving it a solid three. Three rings. Really? Mm-hmm. What are you giving? I'm giving it three and a half. It was four for most of the movie. When I was watching, I was thinking, I was like, what am I going to rate it? It was four because of that opening sequence, because of the bus sequence. It was four at the bus for sure. I was like, okay, this has me. In the trailers, it didn't look good, the bus scene, but in the movie, it's cut around it. Yeah. Yeah, it looked really good. But the the disappointing conclusion to a lot of the arcs and the lack of like an emotional through line for shang chi definitely dropped it a half point but i could still like this is definitely a marvel movie that i could watch again and enjoy it's not like black widow where i will probably never watch it again or iron man 3 where i probably won't ever watch it again but this was definitely one where i could definitely sit down and just turn off my writer's brain and just have a good time and watch some cool cool action and some cool cool cgi at the end 
despite what you think it is. <laughs> I think the CGI is done for the most part well at the end, other than a couple of very muddled shots that get a little confusing. I'd say the ending, you should have just watched Godzilla versus Kong instead of that, because the CGI was not great and it was very muddled. Um, and it was just such a turn from what the rest of the film was. That the is grounded true. martial arts or the more artistic wire work, martial arts in uh, like that, I would have been down for if they did just a bigger version on a bigger scale at the end. But I don't know, the CGI, it just it like came out of nowhere. Yeah. So that really uh, bogged it down for me. But also, it is a very enjoyable film. Like we laughed uh, many times throughout of it, throughout it. Mm -hmm. the audience that we were there with definitely enjoyed it it is an enjoyable experience so if you are able and willing to go to the theater to catch this do so but if you are not willing in 45 days when it hits disney plus give mm -hmm. it a watch there because it is it's definitely worth a watch yeah i will say though this was the first time in a long time where i was in a theater where people were like cheering uh mm -hmm. the last time that was really impactful for me was when we when i watched the force awakens like the cheers in that theater were like they shook the theater. Like when we saw the Millennium Falcon, when we saw Han Solo, when we saw Carrie Fisher, like it like shook the theater. And this was like close to that. Like there were some good cheers. There was a, a couple of big waves of laughter from everybody. And it, like this is just a good feeling. And it makes me really excited for Spider-Man. Oh, because that's going to be that so will be good. in a big theater with a bunch of people in like an IMAX theater will be an amazing experience with everybody. It'll be such a fun. If Tobey Maguire just walks on screen, it will go crazy. It will. I hope they do, you know, in like the sitcoms when they give the joke and then they pause, they just stand mm -hmm. there while people laugh. I hope they included enough of that leeway, that breathing room in the Spider-Man movie will. if they do have Tobey Maguire come in because it's going to be drowned out if they try to say anything. People are going to be cheering for 30 yeah. seconds straight if they see Tobey Maguire on screen. I mean, they left that pauses in for like Endgame, which is another movie where I didn't get the full experience because I was in a, I was, it was like two in the afternoon. It was a smaller theater. There's only like 30 other people and it was like the second day it was out was when I first saw it. So I didn't get a lot of cheers for that one, which is a big disappointment. I really would have loved to feel that theater at, at its peak but still great experience i'm gonna go see spider-man the thursday of definitely like the first showing i can because that will be the packed theater with a bunch of people who are excited to see it i'm probably gonna go to the amc in disney springs here in orlando because they like to do a lot of cool set pieces for marvel movies in terms of like red carpets and stuff like that and also amc is a very good theater chain all right now on to our <laughs> Are you sponsored by AMC yeah. right now? That last plug there. Go to AMC for all of your movie needs in all of North America. He now says gonna... as we watched Shang-Chi at a Regal. This is true. It's just because I have the Regal Unlimited. And so I'm trying to save money. But I will I will splurge for Spider-Man mm -hmm. because it's Spider-Man. Now it's time for our final, final segment, Movie of the Week. The Movie of the Week this time is Police Story, which was released in 1985. It was directed by Jackie Chan and Chi Hua Chen. And written by Chan and, and Edward Tang. And it stars Jackie Chan and Maggie Chung, who is in a movie called In the Mood for Love, which also starred Tony Liu. They were the two leads. So there's another connection that I didn't know existed until I was researching this movie. But the reason I included this is because, like Shang-Chi, it has a, a lot of awesome action set pieces. The very opening sequence is a big chase through, like, a burrow, kind of like, like shacks in uh china and he's chasing the villain jackie chan's chasing the villain through 
and the villain gets on a bus, interestingly enough, and Jackie Chan, like, it goes, the bus is going around the hill, and Jackie Chan cuts up the hill, and somehow grabs an umbrella, and as the bus is going by, he hooks onto, like, a railing in the bus with an umbrella, and just swings on the outside, trying to hold on, and it's one of the coolest things you can see on TV, is watching Jackie Chan do any kind of stunt, and this is definitely, like, his showcase for all the stunts that he can do. The the great action sequence at the end in the mall is fantastic when he does the big drop. He does a, a drop at the very end where he goes probably four stories down this mall, just sliding on a pole. <laughs> it's like that's like the big final finale. It's like he climbs down this pole covered and like he's breaking all the Christmas lights as they go down. So they're all popping and stuff around him and he's sliding down this pole four stories down. It's incredible to see. But uh, it's just a, it's a great example of Chinese opera fighting blended into like modern day stylings rather than something more classical like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And uh, it, it just showcases incredible direction for a martial arts uh, film. And, and it's a great way to film choreo- fight choreography because Jackie Chan's always been good at taking not only designing great fight choreography, but shooting it in a way that is appealing and very well thought out. And I think this movie has a lot of that. It just doesn't nail it perfectly. Like Shang-Chi has a lot of that, but doesn't nail it perfectly. But Police Story is the perfect movie to encapsulate all of that. And just the stunts are just absolutely through through. They're all practical stunts. They're all done by Jackie Chan, if it's Jackie Chan's character, and by his great stunt team and all of that. And I just think if you want to watch a movie that showcases great martial arts, has Jackie Chan in it, is one of the best movies I've ever seen, go watch Police Story from 1985. Now, that is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to tune in next week when we do the finale to our Avatar series. We have Avatar Book 3 coming out where we talk about all the amazing stuff with Sosa's Comet and everything that avatar encapsulates in that final amazing season we will see you then have a good week